You're listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. Run It Again is an inside look at the players, the coaches, and the business of sports with former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. And two minutes later, I was back in the same Oklahoma drill that I got the concussion from. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf, Coach Mike Martz. And we want to force him into a vanilla defense and go to work. Run It Again is a hard-hitting, no BS podcast that connects you directly to the Welcome to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Marks. Don't forget to visit us at runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. Like what you're hearing on Run It Again? Let us know by leaving us a review on Apple. Coming up, the NFL trade deadline is today and we'll let you know who is going where for what. Plus, former NFL player and broadcaster Solomon Wilcott's from Pro Football Focus will join us to break down last week's top matchups. Right now, we want to turn the mic around and hear from you, our listeners. Got a question for me or the coach that you would like answered on our next episode of Run It Again? Just send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com or leave a comment on social media at runitagainpod. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode and for a chance to hear your questions answered. We'll be back right after this message. Courageous is a word that describes America's veterans. Sadly, another word we can use is homeless. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street. You can help. Donate at CardboardToHeadboard.org. Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. So, we, Mike, we got a couple listener questions uh, that we need to get to here. Uh, I, I like when our listeners ask us questions, man. These, this is pretty good. So this is our Sports Outside the Box on Instagram listener questions. And uh, this first question is from Pete Nice. And he asks, will Matt Ryan be in Atlanta in 2021 if the Falcons win five games or less? If not... Who do you think he'll be playing for? Well, if he's not there, I'd like to see him in New York, to be honest with you, with the Giants. Um, I can't imagine uh, him leaving. Uh, I think there'll be some other changes. But, yeah. uh, you know, when you're, th- you're in a place like that so long, you've established yourself. He's, he's really playing well. Yeah. Uh, there are just so many other things that need to come up to snuff there. And, and I think I just don't think that's his personality to bail on that thing. I think he's going to try and see it through. But maybe not. You know, at this point, you know, players – play that at that level for so long he's obviously made his money and win is probably the most important thing obviously to, to all players but particularly to you know he's hungry to win a championship so if he doesn't feel like he can get it done there at his age maybe he does jump i don't know but yeah. it's hard to know you know it's really hard to yeah, know. yeah you know and he's chasing that 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 uh that dream that that super bowl that you know they were up by so many points late in the game and it got away from mine. I know that that still sticks in his, his craw a little bit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next question. And I'm, I'm not making any these these guests up here. These This is pretty crazy here. Okay. So this guy, this is uh, Young Metro. That's his name, Mike. Young Metro. All right. And it says, do you think the Dolphins should have stuck with Fitz or Tua? And, hey, Fitz did get them. To three and three. That's that's what his this uh, that's what Young Metro is saying. My feeling on that is that I think he stayed with Fitz. You know they were winning with uh, Ryan. Uh, he played. He was playing exceptionally well. As good as he's ever played, actually. 
They're winning because of him yeah. in a lot of situations there. They're good on defense. They've really become a real good defensive team, which is really surprising to me. I didn't think they, that would happen so early, but they, they are. They're they're very well yes. coached. They're playing good defense. And I think that uh, this might bite them in the rear end. It, you know, Tua, to come in at this point, there's there's really – I'd prefer to let him set a year and learn yeah. uh, kind of what ha- what happened up in Green Bay, right? Uh, with Aaron, with sit, Aaron Rodgers yeah, and Brett, sit yeah. Learn. But I do get the pressure. You get these other two rookies that are playing so well and playing at such a high level, but they're both getting their rear ends handed to them, you know, yeah. both teams, you're not winning. So when you're winning like that and the, and that quarterback is a reason why you're winning, a major reason, and it, and it is, um, there's no reason to change that unless the ownership comes in and says, listen, we drafted this guy and they're getting antsy because they see these other guys getting all the praise and the you know, the attention and everyone wants to know why this kid's not playing well. The whole point here is you want, you're trying to win. And if that's really what you're trying to do, I don't understand the change. You know, there's plenty of time for him to play. And why would you change when you're winning with this guy? I just, I, I don't. Well, I think you answered the question. Know. And and by the way, my, I was, uh, you know, I was the bad guy on this all week long here when we were in the studio at Fox talking about it. And I, I said, Hey, I, Okay, so you're three and three, uh, with the exception of the 49ers. Okay, uh, you didn't beat a good team. And I said, this decision is coming from up top. It's clearly coming from up top. And like you said, with with Joe Burrow jumping out there, playing well. Now, he got a big win this past weekend, along with, uh, you know, Justin Herbert, okay, who's taking his lumps. I felt like this is management saying, we're going to use this money now. We spent. 19 and a half or seven point nineteen point seven five guaranteed on this kid on a $30 million rookie deal. We're, we're going to get him in the game and see what he can do. And after that first play, when, uh, when, when Donald hit him upside the head and the ball came out, I was like, Whoa, boy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, they won the game and I know what, uh, what, what, what Fitz is saying right now under his breath, he's like, well, why the hell couldn't the defense play like that for me? Well, I think they did get better and better every week. Um, And maybe it's a psychological change. Maybe the players are waiting for that change. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. And maybe that has – who knows why they made the change, but I just – I just he was playing well, and he was one of the reasons why they were playing well. And I know the record isn't great, but they were still very competitive. Um, You know, I just let him learn. Fitzy may go down as it is anyways as a starter. So you may have to play eventually, but – it just to bring him in the right way, I think, is really important, and, and I guess that's good uh, that they've made the change. I don't know, but time will tell. Maybe he'll catch fire and, and they'll say, "See, we told you so." I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Anyway, uh, our man is back, Solomon Wilcott from uh, PFF Pro Football Focus. We've uh, had him on our show before. A longtime uh, broadcaster and a good friend of, of ours. Is, he's back in the house. Solomon, round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. All right. All right. Ron, <laughs> hey, Coach, how you doing? Ron, hey, Charlie. Uh, always good to be on with you guys, so thank you for having me. Hey, man, before we jump into trade talk, we, we've got to talk about, uh, well, this, this guy named uh, Burrow, who's in your, your home state right there in, in home city. Cincinnati, Ohio. He's uh, he's he's doing a pretty good job, isn't he? Oh, there was no doubt about it. I mean, let's face it. He landed on a roster um, that does have a few players at the skill position, some guys who've emerged. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the offensive line is pretty much depleted. He went into Sunday's game against the Tennessee Titans 
without four of the five starting offensive linemen, but yet mm. he still was able to go out and uh, play phenomenally well uh, and led his team to a great upset over a really good Tennessee Titans team. So I think that's what you get from Joe Burrow, high level of competitiveness. Uh, the guy just keeps dealing, even though the situation and the environment is less than ideal. Right, right. All right, so we are uh, at the trade deadline. You know, a couple of things people have already been dealt. Quan Alexander, uh, linebacker San Francisco, uh, dealt to New Orleans for Kiko Alonso plus a fifth-round pick. Desmond King with the Chargers. That surprised me a little bit. I thought he was kind of a, a universal soldier there for him. Uh, he goes to the Titans for a fifth-round pick also. And I'm hearing grumblings about maybe a couple other players out there, including uh, Will Fuller with the Texans maybe moving. What are you hearing, Solomon? Oh, yeah, Will Fuller. We're hearing that by the end of business today, 4 p.m. Eastern time is the deadline that uh, the Green Bay Packers are trying to work out a deal to bring him in so he could help stretch the field. And let's face it, if you get a guy like Will Fuller within that offense with the Green Bay Packers, Devontae Adams, becomes even that much more valuable. They need someone to be productive opposite of him. Adam Lazard is still injured. He's out. He was producing earlier in the season, but was lost to injury. And at the end of the day, I, I think it would be tremendous high level of neglect if the Green Bay Packers didn't try to make some kind of move to fortify that roster and add another potent weapon, particularly someone who can help stretch the field for Aaron Rodgers and create more space for uh, Devontae Adams to continue to be the great player that he is. There are some, say the teams like, say, the Patriots. They're 2-5 and five right now. Doesn't look like they're going anywhere. Other teams that are maybe struggling, the Minnesota Vikings, for instance, they're up against the cap. Remember, the, the Patriots are still paying uh, $13 million in dead money against the cap for Tom Brady's contract when they had paid him out um, uh, in past years. And so they're looking to shed money from their salary cap. So we're hearing that, yeah, last year's Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore, could be had, that the Patriots are seeking a first-round pick and a player, okay, in exchange for Stephon Gilmore. Team like the Minnesota Vikings, who are up against the cap. Uh, they've got a safety who's under the franchise tag, and Anthony Harris, um, they're looking to maybe shed um, the rest of his salary for the remainder of the season, which would be about $6 million if they could free up money there. Or with the tight end, Kyle Rudolph, when they already have Irv Smith behind him. So right. you can see teams right. knowing that they're going to lose some players anyway to free agency. Let's see if we could get something um, for, for those players, but also looking to shed salary if they're already up against the salary cap as they're heading into the offseason. Right, right. Hey, Mike, uh, how did you handle trade time this time of year? Well, we didn't get involved with it. We, you know, the guys that we were never in that situation where we we're so close to the cap where we had to shed or, you know, if somebody, was, their contract was up, you know, we worked, if we won them, we worked hard to get that contract done uh, before we went into the season. So, or during the course of the season, like Isaac, many times we did him actually in camp you know, going into his final year of the contract. So we never really saw that. You know, we made that decision early that this is somebody we need to have and work that out. And they did that over the long haul. They never waited on anything. And if we weren't sure if we're just going to let that guy go, then that's what they did. But 
there, I had a lot of surprises because there are two or three players I told them we cannot lose, and and obviously they had a different opinion on we lost them. So, but uh, that part of it, uh, you know, I was supposed to have input, but actually didn't have what I thought I had the input. So <laughs> we lost a couple of linebackers and and some of those guys, and you know, just Grant Wistrom and some of those guys that would have stayed for less money, and for some reason they cleared the roster. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating. Now, you, you come in for a day of work, and you've got everything on your mind except losing a player, and you get a knock on the door uh, from management saying, oh, things just didn't work out for so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, he's gone. Yeah, you know, you have to be on the same page, obviously, and, and uh, you know, things got a little dicey there for me with the management, uh, you know, about the middle of my stay there. And we had a difference of opinion. We drafted Brian Young in uh, the fifth round, and he was a terrific interior lineman. Had a great career in New Orleans. And he, we can't lose this guy, you know. And of course, they didn't want to resign him. It, it was just dollars for them. It, you know, they didn't understand the magnitude of the impact that a player has on your team. So, you know, the, our middle linebacker, one of the great linebackers of all time, uh, we lost him to you know Buffalo, and of course, he ended up going down to the Redskins, but. Fletcher, we, yeah. You know, yeah. London, London Fletcher. Fletcher. We, right. you, yeah, you can't lose those kind of guys. He was the heart and soul of the defense, but they just look at numbers, you know, and that's it was just numbers to them, and it was a hard thing to deal with. Hey, hey Sal, I remember when we were playing, uh, there were always a couple disgruntled guys who thought they were better than they probably really were, and they would walk around the locker room talking about, ah, they need to trade me. Ah, they need to let me go. You know, and, and, and sending these these cryptid encrypted messages to other teams, uh, basically saying, "Hey, I, I'm I'm available. I'm I'm free. Come get me." And I remember one guy they they kept saying that, and they they cut him. <laughs> they didn't even trade him. They just so well, you want it out of here. You're out of here. <laughs> yeah, so. you know that that. Listen, uh, you know, I, as much as you could, you try to talk to players. The locker room is the last place to begin a conversation of talking about your money. Because the last thing players want to do is talk about someone else's contract. It, it was just a cart, no rule. Absolutely. You never voiced your opinion about what another player should or shouldn't be getting or what the team should do with that player. It's totally out of our control. Uh, we just need to focus players. Any, I think it's still true today. Players should just focus on playing. And we always would say there's a time for business and there's a time to play. The time for business is the offseason. That's the time to have those discussions about contracts like Coach was saying. You know, when you're not playing, talk about the money. Get that stuff taken care of. Because once you start playing, the focus has to be on how, do, how are we going to win a game? You know, if you're going to come into the locker room and spark a conversation, that's what we really should be talking about. I think the good teams with veteran leadership understood that. They taught younger players that when I when I was a young player came into a locker room, there was Boomer Esiason, there was Anthony Munoz, there was a Chris Collinsworth. We had great veteran leadership, um, and and those guys help they help young players already to know this is your role. Shut up and play. That, that that's kind of that's kind of what what you learned early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, Sally, exactly right. You know, one of the hardest things as a coach was to see an older player that was at the end of his career. And uh, the management didn't want to offer him anything but the minimum, basically, which is still a lot of money, right? So, you know, you're trying to ask him to stay. You don't want to leave. And I had no, I didn't have control over that. So, trying to plead with him, 
And he's disgusted at the amount that he's been offered after he's making X amount of dollars. And you, you want to tell him that, you know, you, you leave here, you don't accept this. You're going to go back into the real world and start a career doing something else. You're not going to make this kind of money, even though it's a, right. they're insulted by that kind of money. Maybe they're making 4 million or 5 million those days as a lineman. And now you've offered them the minimum, which at the time I think was eight for, you know, eight fifty or whatever, eight eighty, whatever it was at the time. So, and then they leave and nobody, and they, and they don't, nobody picks them up. Yeah. And, the, and their career would end unceremoniously. Right. And that, yes, that's not the yes, way they exactly. want to end it. I, whenever our, like I was done playing and I'm, you know, even today when I speak with young players, I'm friends with a lot of young players, they're wanting to break into media. And so I, they'll call me up and they want to know how to, and they're still playing. They're at the end of their careers and, they start talking about, well, they only offer me this. I'm ready. I said, well, I said, when you really think about it, I said, they're going to pay you excess of a million dollars, right? And that, yeah, I know you've been making more than that in the years leading up till now. I said, but what if I told you when you were in the eighth grade that one day you're going to be playing in the NFL and the team is going to say, hey, we can only pay you a million dollars a year. If I had told that young kid that you're going to buck at the million dollars a year, that that's not going to be enough. Then, you would have yeah, told me I was crazy. Yeah. That, I said, but here you, I said, yep, but here yeah. you are all those years later, you're a million dollars a yep. year is not enough for you. I said, so just recalibrate and take yourself back to the real reason why you got into this. You got to have, you still got to have a love for the game, right? But you also should value the, the relationships you have within the locker room, the fact that you do have a role on this team, there is a team that wants you, that thinks that you are at least worth a million dollars a year. And so if I could get them to just really step outside of that moment and think back and have a better perspective, typically, I could tell you, I bet about 90%, Coach, where most of those players would say, you know what, you're right. Uh, no, you're, you know what, I understand yep. it. You're right. It's, it's hard for them, their ego, to accept that. They have an image of where they – and it diminishes, you know, that you just get older. You don't have those same kind of skills, but you here you got a chance to continue to play. And that's the the bottom line. And and until, you know, I talking to Marshall, this really hit home. His first year or two out, uh, you know, just being away from the competitive part of it was very, very, very difficult for him. And I think most players go through it. And you guys did too. You know, your first year or so out, just that yeah. – that feeling of you're needed on that team. You have a role, you have a, you know, you're getting ready for this, your whole life centers. And then all that's taken away and there's just this void there. It's, it's tough. It's hard on players. And the best example guys, I think if we, of a player who's played it correctly, played it right. I, I look at him and I just, and I've all, I've known him since he was a kid. He was a ball boy for us in Minnesota. He's had a great career. He's going to be a hall of famer. And, mm, and Larry Fitzgerald Larry. is a player. If you look at him, He's no longer making the same money. He's not. He's making good money, but he's not making the money he was when he was at the height of his career. But the reason why the Cardinals have kept him around, because his value right. is his leadership. He has a strong locker room presence. He has a great influence with the younger players. He's helped that organization in so many other ways that they see a value in keeping him around. Maybe it's not at the same number, but yet there's still a tremendous value that he brings to that franchise, to that organization. And now he's looking at a 15, 16, 17-year career where you see other players at that position after you know after their skills have diminished, they don't offer the same leadership value 
the locker room value. And now the team have to part ways with those players. Sally, let me ask you a question. And this is going to go in a completely different direction. But based on what you just said, why would Brady have left New England then? His value there to the locker room. Just all the things you just said was so dramatic. Why did that happen? Yeah, that's a really good question. And from all the reporting that we've done on this, is that Tom Brady felt that he had, over the course of his career, over those 20 years, he had he had taken significantly less. I remember looking at the pay scale some years, Tom Brady wasn't even ranked in the top 10 mm-hmm. right. in terms of average salary. So he, and he, and then there, so he gets to the end of his career and he's saying, look, and now, you know, he has a wife too. And, and coach, you know this, when we're married and your wife weighs in, okay, we're doing what again? You're taking, <laughs> you're taking what? And, yeah. and, and, you know, Tom's going home saying, baby, I just don't have the guys around me anymore. And yeah. she's like, well, wait a minute. I thought you were taking less so that they would get you these guys. <laughs> wait, what are we doing here? And, yeah. and, and so I think Tom, and, and, and let's face it. I think if coach Belichick were to really one day voice this, I think Coach Belichick would say, listen, okay, even if I'm going to get Tom Brady at less than maybe what other people are paying, the $30 million a year, I I don't know that I'm ready to go into a season. This is uncharted waters. 43-year-old quarterback, even at $20 million a year, I think was a, a little bit much for Coach. And so I just think it was a mutual agreement where coach was ready to move on. Remember, he tried to do it a few years ago with Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I think Tom knew that the clock was ticking on his time there. I think coach had already in a lot of ways communicated that. And I think Tom knew that he wasn't going to go and ask for the going rate that maybe he had in his mind that, that said, look, I know what I'm still bringing to the table. And that money that I left on the table was not being used in what we had agreed upon. And then I think he start once a player starts to look at the horizons and see what's out there, and you see that you could get the money and the environment and the talent. I think once you start shopping, you know how it is. It's like, you yeah. know, players don't we don't when we come into the league, we don't get to pick our team. We get drafted, right? Right. And so for the first time, that the freedom of of having an opportunity to choose, I think that reinvigorated Tom. I really do. I think later he's going to talk to us about that when it's all said and done. And I think once he saw Tom Moore and once he saw that, you know, Bruce Arians offense was going to allow him to push the ball down the field and get to answer some of these questions, I can still go deep. I, I think he looked at that as an attractive opportunity. And uh, and I think both both guys, I think the coach and the player, had the sense of understanding that it was just time. It, it was probably best to just go ahead and end it amicably as opposed to allowing the relationship to deteriorate. And, and I think both guys ultimately end up leaving on really good terms where they can say really good things about one another. Wow, that's a great answer. I didn't uh, realize uh, some of the things that you brought up. Uh, I made some really good points there, Sally, about um, – you know, the, just the personal side of it as well. I didn't realize that he'd taken a, such a hit there over the years, you know, because I never really looked at it, but I, I didn't realize that. And that's just, uh, we used to, we did that with Marshall. We did it with uh, Isaac Bruce and, and uh, a couple other players, asked them to take less and spread it out and whatnot. And, and they did it yeah. and they did that. And, you know, it was one of the reasons we were able to win, but um, I didn't realize that that went on so long for, 
Tom Brady. In so much, Coach, that they spread it out. They're still counting. His salary, his contract still counts this year $13.5 million against the cap. They're carrying $13.5 million of dead money this year. And that's why they couldn't go out and really be proactive in going out and getting new players. He even lobbied uh, Coach Belichick to say, listen, if I'm going to lose 10 players that are going to opt out due to COVID-19, we should not have to count those salaries against the cap. Coach Belichick knew they were totally up against it. And had they signed Brady for a one-year $30 million deal, the thirty million would have counted to against the cap plus the thirteen point yeah, five million. million. So that would you're yeah. talking forty three million against the cap. That exceeds that twenty percent threshold. Plus they didn't have that much space to be able to carry yeah. that kind of number. So you can see for several reasons it it was just time. So Solomon, is that what prompted Bill Belichick to uh, to be uncharacteristically vocal in the media a few days ago, saying? We sold out salary cap wise to win those three Super Bowls. Exactly, and he, and it and it comes off weird because they're also losing right now, and it, it has a sour grapes feel to it. But based on what you're saying, eh, there may be some uh, some truth to all of this. Oh, absolutely, and, and co- you know, Bill Belichick's the last guy to come up with excuses. He's not, but and uh, he, I think he was being honest in terms of at least trying to communicate. Um, to whether it's media, whether it's the fan base there in New England, or whether just mm-hmm. people who who look at the situation, why didn't we do this, or why couldn't we have done that? He's giving yeah. you some information to understand at least a little bit better why they find themselves in this situation. Um, no, it's they could not bring back Kyle Van Noy. They could not bring back Jamie Collins. There are other players that they would have loved to have kept. People aren't talking about those guys as much as they're talking about Tom Brady. But the scenario was was quite similar. They they had tried their best to keep those teams together, to keep winning championships. They were able to do it, except for in 2019, it all caught up with them. And then they came to the point, okay, now we have to start shedding some of these salaries. We're not going to be able to bring back players we would love to keep. And, and as Coach could tell you, uh, that bill comes due one day. And, and now you have to kind of live with some of the decisions you've made over time. Yeah, we, we went through that a little bit with Kurt. You know, he had June 1st. He had a big uh, payment due on June 1st, and then we had to figure out whether or not that was going to continue, and it was hard. Yeah. Very difficult thing to do. Yeah, he yeah. Bill Belichick is the last guy to make excuses. He's also the last guy to talk openly to the media like he's doing now. That's right. And we're seeing both. So that's, uh, we're going to have to keep an eye on all of this as it develops and things – Definitely starting to change slowly but surely around the league and, and, and for sure in uh, the AFC East. Ron Pitts, Mike Martz, the coach, and uh, Solomon Wilcox from Pro Football Focus. Let's transition here over to the games and what's going on this past week. Uh, we talked about some, I guess you could call them upsets. We talked about Miami and the Rams. And uh, San Francisco, boy, they, they took a hit. Going up to Seattle, and I mean a physical hit, they're going to be without Garoppolo for some time with an ankle, a high ankle injury. They're going to be without Kittle, the big tight end, another injury. And this is a part of the game. We see this uh, going on going forward. Uh, guys, jump in. Give me your assessment on on this past weekend and, and uh, how you th- see things rolling into next weekend. Well, in reference to the 49ers, uh, you know, with, without Jimmy Garoppolo, they've really struggled. And, and they're playing so much better on defense. 
but I, I do think there's an emotional attachment there too. I think he's mm. has yeah. a real leadership role there. But just on the injury part, but what concerns me is there's a lot more injuries this year at this time of year than there has ever been in the National Football League. So mm. I think the off not having the off season and and perhaps the not having camp where you go through these things. Uh, but when you look at every team in the league, when you add it all up. The position that's got hit the worst are the offensive lines. And I've never seen that before. To lose an offensive lineman during the season is not that remarkable. That happens. But to lose three or four of them and more is is absolutely uh, unbelievable. And mm. and that's what's happened to many teams. There's a, So many of these teams have, have been decimated. You start with the Cowboys and go all the way through. There's so many teams have lost that. And that's, a, that's really a, a hard – it's hard at the quarterback position then you know, to, to protect that guy and keep him on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and we talked about it, the Bengals, uh, they went into Sunday's game against the Titans missing four of their five starting offensive linemen. It's amazing how they were able to win the game. Uh, but the Tennessee Titans, remember they signed Vic Beasley in the off season. They brought in Jadavion Clowney. They can't rush the quarterback to save their lives, even with those guys. And so I think it, uh, the Bengals kind of caught a break there uh, with the Titans really being undermanned in terms of the production or lack thereof when it comes to getting to the quarterback. And Joe Burrow had a big day. When you talk about the 49ers, injuries have been um, a part of this team since uh, week one. I mean, you can go back and they started to sustain and take on injuries to Debo Samuels. Kittle was hurt early in the season, then came back. They were missing at one point at least 10 starters from this football team. And now they lose uh, Garoppolo for the next six weeks with that uh, high ankle sprain. Um, uh, Kittle is out for the remaining portion of the season. And now they're beginning to uh, sell off some of their assets. Quan Alexander Mm -hmm. um, is seeking a new contract. They went ahead and traded him to the new Orleans saints. And so um, you could see, they may, they may see the writing on the wall. They're four and four right now. Nick Mullins, is going to have to start the six at at least six of their next eight games, and so um, the 49ers are really, I think, facing an uphill battle when you consider the division they're in. Oh, no question. And and here comes Arizona. You know, they're coming on like uh, they belong in the playoffs now. So, you know, <laughs> right? the division I think is probably going to end up between uh, Seattle and, and Arizona. I just uh, something's wrong down there in, in L.A. with uh, the Rams. Uh, defensively, um, they're just. Uh, they, they just haven't been able to hold up. And offensively, you know, when they when people have got up in their face and pressured that quarterback, they've really struggled. And I think they took, a, you know, a page out of New England's playbook in the Super Bowl and went five down and covered all five linemen, and they had a heck of a time running the ball. And then they couldn't hold up in the protections against that five-man rush. Absolutely, Mike. We, uh, we talked briefly on Sunday. And, you know, watching the tape of that game, they did exactly that. They brought – seven, eight guys up on the line of scrimmage. They covered gaps. Uh, and then a lot of times they played even front defense. And the big thing is getting hits on golf. Anytime he's touched, he's got people around him. We've talked about this in the past. He's not comfortable in the pocket that way. Kurt Warner could stand in that pocket and brush guys off. And, and he wasn't bothered by that. But it, this is clearly different, and people have started to catch on to this. Well, what's happened with them on offense is, and, and this happens to everybody, and you have to have an answer for this, the really good teams will come up and they're going to check you out. They're going to pressure you. They're going to put them up there, yep. and they're going to come after you. If if you blink, 
<laughs> if you and they blinked, if you blink, if they're successful, you're going to see it, and you're going to see it, and you're going to see it until you can prove you can fix that. So, yeah. for us, we that's one of the first things we'd work on in camp is handling all that pressure. We had to be really good at that, and you had to have answers for it, and you have to change gears, so to speak. Maybe go to two tight ends and whatever it is, you, you just got to change. And they they just got stunned by it, and they were they were there. It was unexpected, and. Uh, whoever I don't know who they're playing this week, but whoever they're playing, they're going to see it again. Yeah, they're going to make them prove that they can fix that. Yeah, they 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 got to buy this week, and they they yeah. need it. They they need it. Yeah, Sally. For me, uh, yeah, both the quarterbacks that were taken one and two overall in the 2016 draft with Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Both quarterbacks are struggling. Um, Carson Wentz was hit unmercifully. Um, a ton week one against the Washington football team. I think they had eight sacks on Carson Wentz. Guys, he has not been the same since. No. When when he when he plays in a game, you get the good, the bad, and the ugly. He'll he'll throw a couple of great throws, and then he does things that quarterbacks this far into his career should never do. Head scratch. Throwing all the way clear back to the other side of the yeah, field. Yeah. He's putting the ball in harm's way. Jarrett Goff. Um, I think the coach, Sean McVay, does a great job of scheming around him, but it limits the offense of what they could do. Everything they do comes off half-field reads, okay, play-action pass, RPO-type stuff. They've got two talented tight ends in Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett, who I still believe are underutilized within the offense. They, they do a good job of scheming up the run game where they're actually running with three different running backs. You'll see Cooper Cup on the jet sweep. Robert Woods had – He'll have four carries in a game. They, right. they do all right. of that. On the fly just, sweep. Just, yeah. yeah, just so that they can create some some passing um, uh, production off of that kind of action yeah. to help their quarterback because it predetermined reads, right? It gets him out on the edge of the offense where he has clear vision downfield and get greater separation with the receivers. I think Sean McVay does a wonderful job of scheming up just to get production for Jerry Goff. But when he has to play – from the pocket, okay, and, and get full field reads, he tends to struggle, particularly if you start to touch him early. Mm-hmm. Well, no question, and I think that's what he does. I mean, they're, they're a play-action team. That's what they want to do, and they're yep. not a play from behind. They're not a two-minute offense. They've never been. That's not who he is. That's not what they do. But, but say, I don't, he doesn't do things very quickly, and, and so they stay away from that stuff, the three-step stuff where you get quick rubs and – picks and slants and things of those. That's just not what he does. They, I, I've seen them do that very, very little. But when they see a bear defense like they saw, they've got to have a, an answer for that. And yep. and if yep. you want to hear a veteran offensive line coach scream in the 30th row, you just turn and say, hey, they're playing the bear defense, and they'll scream. <laughs> hey, coach, I, I can- <laughs> Not the bear defense. Hey, hey coach, I'm a, I'm a, you know I'm a defensive guy. I, I I tell people all the time I love a bear defense. I oh, mean, when man. you when you can crowd the center and those two guards, right? And it it's hard to run against it, right? And if you've got real good pressure coming off the edge of it, I'm telling you right now, it creates a it creates just big time problems. For the offense, and the only thing you can do, go back to that 85 year against the Bears. What did Dan Marino do in that Monday night game? It was the only time the 85 Bears lost the game all season. If you can't throw quick, 
Yeah. And if you can't get separation with your wide receivers outside and get yeah. the ball out quick, yeah. you got no shot. Yeah. You got no shot. Well, no question. And the bear was designed to stop the run. Of course, in 85, everybody yep. ran the ball so well. And they, the, the deuce or the, the two tight end packages and, yeah. and all that. So when you get it, when you see the bear, you just go to four wide receivers or a spread them out, right. and you get them right out of yeah. it, you spread know, them and, out. and so you got to be able to do that. And, Motion shift and all that, but what they did, and and I think this is something that they're, they're going to see is when you cover the center and both guards. When when you do that and you start running those games in there, you're going to find out how good they are real quick. You know, yeah. when the center can't help a guard, and that, they took that ability away, where a guard helping the center, vice versa. Those three kind of work in conjunction with each other. But when you cover all three of them. And then you bring a linebacker. They've got problems. They had problems dealing with all that stuff. And then they had a hard time. You know, they showed them pressure from one side and came from the other side, and guys were coming clean. So those things have got to get worked out in this bye week for him. And like you said, I think he's a remarkable coach. I think he's brilliant. And they'll figure it out. But he's really coached to the ability of the quarterback. But there's some things you got to make the guy do. You know, you just got to. And and he's got to get quicker with that ball and some of this quick stuff. You could see how it was stressing out the Rams' offensive line, too, because a couple times they got false start penalties because the guard was trying to communicate with the center and tackle on which way they're going to slide the line, and they would guess wrong sometimes. And then, and then in fact, on one of the fumble, the, uh, the fumble for the touchdown, guy came clean off the corner. I don't know if the back was supposed to slide that way. Maybe he didn't get the check, but. That's well, they did. I saw. I know the play exactly that you're talking about. They, yeah. they the protection was going one way. They call it out, and then they backed out and brought the other guy, and and he came free. And and I know the back didn't come over and pick him up mm-hmm. like he was supposed to. But and that was when we started dealing with all that stuff. Marshall was really the first guy in the league that we could give him a complete field scan for protections, so we didn't have to change everything. So we get we put it on Marshall. You know, we'd let him go one to two on this from one side all the way back to the other side. And people weren't really doing that much, but he saved us a lot of times in those protections. And you just got to get creative with your protections when you see that stuff. Yeah. Hey, Solomon, do you, from a PFF standpoint in your numbers and your, uh, your stats, what are you guys seeing that's jumping out right now? Coverage is way down. Um, our, our grades, even just across the board in terms of secondaries, like for instance, um, coming into week eight, the highest graded secondary were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm. Now, Tampa, if look at uh, the the, um, the Monday night game. Right. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, they came up against Daniel Jones. You just think that this defense is getting ready to annihilate Daniel Jones yeah. and the New York Giants. But give Jason Garrett a lot of credit. He schemed them up well. And Daniel Jones made a lot of nice throws. He panicked. He should never try to throw the ball when a defensive lineman is hanging on you. And so they end up getting two interceptions um, off of Daniel Jones, which were really freebies. But for the most part, Daniel Jones missed on a couple of deep throws. There were about three Three shots. There were three of them, Coach, where he clearly had an open man. This secondary, who is the highest graded coverage unit coming into week eight, Gave up a lot of plays. So this is the best that, that right now the league is seeing. But even they are vulnerable in giving up big plays. So we're finding that coverage in 2020, when it comes to pass coverage, it's, it's been very inconsistent. Um, and they have been vulnerable to giving up a lot of big plays. That's why you're seeing rookie quarterbacks, whether it's Justin Herbert, whether it's Joe Burrow, they're still creating um, a tremendous amount of production 
by taking shots down the field against NFL secondaries. Right now, the coverage units are performing poorly, the passing game. Right now, I think we're on schedule to have maybe five to seven quarterbacks with 40 or more touchdown passes in 2020. So that's what's trending right now. Coverage units not not performing nearly as they have over the last few years. And just looking at it, and I, I don't know what the numbers are. Maybe you know. But it just seems to me like there's so much more man, man-to-man coverage this year than I've ever seen. Uh, you're right. Particularly and, and early in the year. And here's why, Coach, as you well know, when you don't have a lot of learning, when you don't have time to work on these zones and the communication that goes in. Ron knows this. He played back there. The easiest thing to say is you take that guy, take this guy. Cat coverage, right? right? You got cat coverage. You got that cat. You got the. Uh, that's right. And, and, and what happens is, if for, you could, it to me, I think it easy. It's more definable. If I'm Joe Burrow, and I look and I see single high press man, I already know where I want to go with the ball. I'm looking for the best matchup. Maybe it's AJ Green. Maybe it's Tyler Boyd. Maybe it's T Higgins. But there, it, I don't have to read zone coverages and complex things now. When I see single high press man, it makes it takes the thinking out of it for these young quarterbacks, and now they can just play to their true level of abilities. And maybe that's why they're getting away from man to man now. They finally got a chance to kind of implement right. some of that stuff. You, and you saw the Giants on defense do a lot of zone dog, and they actually fooled Brady a couple of times with his throws. Sure, that's and, right. Yeah, and uh, they did a really nice job. And, and that's that's point well taken. You know, it, it takes a lot of adjustment because all those if you run the zone dog, you declare the strength of the of the offense, and then if that changes it because it re- redirects who the dropper is and you know, from the line, all that kind of stuff. So it's complicated. It's not. Not an easy thing to do. Solomon, appreciate it. Solomon Wilcox, pro football focus, joining us always, making us feel a little bit smarter. At least me. Coach is already there. I got to get up to speed with you guys. I love talking ball with you guys. There, there is no doubt. When I get together with you guys, I talk more football in the fifteen or twenty minutes than I do all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it, man. That's Solomon Wilcox with Pro Football Focus. You. When you're watching the Sunday night football game, you'll hear Chris Collingsworth, his uh, business partner there at the company. You know, he'll throw out uh, PFF numbers and facts. Well, that's where it's all coming from, folks. So, you know, you're getting the good stuff right on time. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Holly. All right, Coach, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Run It Again after this message. My name is Tracy Sandler, and I'm the host of Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast, a weekly podcast that highlights women who have made a significant impact in the sports industry. Every Thursday, I sit down with one of these amazing, successful women to discuss their professional journey and any advice they have for young women who aspire to follow in their footsteps. This week, I am joined by Senior Vice President of Marketing for the Philadelphia 76ers, Brittany Boyd. Brittany shares her four pillars of success, the importance of being intentional, and the importance of thinking a step ahead. She also highlights collaboration over competition and just how imperative it is to know your worth. This episode is filled with tangible advice that everyone can start using today. And it's a lot of fun. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Welcome back. Here's Ron Pence with the coach, Mike Mars. Be sure to join them every Tuesday for a new episode of Run It Again. So, Mike, the big question I've been getting since we're, we're quarterback heavy here this week, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. So they're, they're about on their third quarterback. I see uh, their guy, Danucci in the game against the Eagles the other night. 
And the question is, why not just bring in trade for a quarterback? And I'm thinking to myself, well, by nature, that is the one position that teams typically don't just hot swap. Or you can do that with a linebacker. You can do that with a corner. You can do that with a safety, a receiver. You can't. I, I don't see that happen very often with quarterbacks. Very hard to do. You know, you'd have to find somebody who, from just the vernacular standpoint, is is accustomed to the system. You want a veteran. A guy like Fitzpatrick would be perfect because he's played in so many mm, different systems and he, he can win and he's a good, that's solid a good player one. and he could help them. So a guy like Fitzpatrick at, at Dallas would be perfect, but you it's going it to be hard to bring another young guy in there and plug him in and expect him to do well. It's just not going to work unless he's already in a system that has the same verbiage and stuff. Right, right. And then there's guys like uh, – Oh, let me see. Josh Rosen. Okay. The UCLA kid. First round pick. Uh, it just hasn't worked out for him thus far. He's on a practice squad. You can sign people off other people's practice squad. Am I, am I not right? You can. You can, but there's a reason why he's on that practice squad. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's not, that's not what they want. If he's he was good enough, guy. you know, I mean, he's not going to be the answer. So, yeah. You know, the only guy out there that would make any sense to me would be Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's just been demoted. You know, he's yeah. he's played at a high level. Uh, he's very smart. He's got experience. He's not going to be intimidated. And, yeah. you know, that would be the only one that would make sense to me out there right now. Yep, yep. Started off with you guys down there in St. Louis and went to Cincinnati, Buffalo, Tennessee, Houston, the Jets, Buccaneers, and now he's with Miami. Wow. His first pass was against the San Diego Chargers. Our second preseason game, I put him in in the fourth quarter. He was the third quarterback at that time. And he threw an 80-yard touchdown, first play. This is his first play in, <laughs> bubble pass. And we put Z on a seven pump, and he, he threw a touchdown, 80 yeah. yards. Yeah, wow. He doesn't stay very long. Rams for two years, Cincinnati two years. Buffalo was his longest stint. He played really well, Buffalo, too. Here's the yeah, thing about Ryan. You got a is, contract up there, yeah. You know, I think people, um, if, if Ryan would land on a really good team that believed him, I think he'd have a hell of a career. But when you go into the league and people call you a backup, that's a tough, tough tag to outlive. You know, and then all the personnel, everybody, because he's not a real tall guy, I think he's 6'1 or whatever, he's, you know, that's yeah. the tag. They're always going to replace him because there's nothing flashy about him. Uh, they just always feel like they can do better. And uh, I've always believed that he was a solid starter in the league that you could win a championship with him, but that's just my opinion. But I, there's so many of those guys that have gone through that. It kind of depends on what team you come into the league. If you're on a bad team and you're labeled a backup, it's got, that's a tough hole to crawl out of. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's what's happened to Brady a little bit. Now, he's obviously overcome it and gone to another level by winning Super Bowls, but – uh, to Solomon's point on um, the contract restructuring over and over and the magnitude by which he has restructured and the amounts, I think some of that is he's always been reminded, hey, listen now, you know, you're, you're a six-round pick. We, we made you, okay? This organization, this system made you. Now, now, come on, you know, slide a little money over here, uh, restructure this, and then stay and win some more, more Super Bowls. I think the environment up there, Tom understood it was a winning environment. And I think they were doing everything they could to win for so many years. 
And I think along the way from the contract issues they've had with other players too, uh, accelerating into the cap, they just keep mortgaging the future and keep putting it off, putting it off, and it finally caught up with them. Yeah. But I, I think Tom was reluctant to leave because he knew what he had, you know, there's a winning, you know, they're winning Super Bowls. And so when you're in that environment, eventually it catches up with you and you're going to lose the personnel around you that got you there. And when that happens, then you got to rethink whether you want to be there. <laughs> What'd you say, man? You got to rethink. Yeah. <laughs> right. Rethink whether it's time to uh, call that uh, 18 wheeler. And pull it up to the garage and get the heck out of there or stay and uh, suck it up and and keep going. Okay, so Monday night's coming or Thursday night's coming. And we were talking about Green Bay a little bit and, you know, what is or is not around Aaron Rodgers that gets surprised by the Vikings. And, I you know, I didn't see that one coming. Clearly, the Vikings are struggling. But, hey. That's what happened in, happens in this business when you don't come to play every single week. Now, Green Bay's got to go at 5-2 and two out to the 49ers for Thursday night football. The 49ers, as you said, they are, they're going backward. So this could be an interesting matchup. It'll be a hard game for the 49ers to win. You know, they're, they've been decimated with injuries. They're, they've really covered themselves on defense. They're playing well in the secondary, which they didn't do earlier. But losing a quarterback is a big deal. And anytime you take a good football team that embarrasses themselves, and I think Green Bay was embarrassed. You know, I think uh, the Vikings, like you said, I think they felt this was a game that they were going to win, and they got shocked. They got the ball run right up the gut on them, and that he couldn't stop the run. You know, Green Bay couldn't get on the field. So, you know, that's kind of what you do to a guy like that. But uh, I do think it'll be a hard game for the 49ers to win. I think they go get better at the 49ers. Yeah. Giants going to Washington. Now, Giants, uh, I, you think they're playing better than they were in the beginning of the season. Not even the same team. You look at them the first few weeks of the season and look at them now, everywhere on that team, special teams, defense, offense, they're playing so much better. It's an extremely well-coached football team. I don't know Joe. I've never met him. I don't know anything about him. But I do know Jason, the offensive coordinator, and he, he's yeah. a great. he's a terrific play caller. He has a great feel for the game. He's trying to manage Jones, the quarterback, and – you know, if he can get him to stop doing those dumb things, which is a hard thing to do, but you've got to have that talk with him. You know, you just, I'm sure he does every day, but sooner or later, you know, those things, you know, you got to stop doing them. Otherwise you got to go your own way. You got to head out of there. And, you know, Jones is right now, he's the Achilles heel for that team, but they're really a good team that's headed in the right direction. And if Jones will play better, they're going to win a bunch of games coming down the stretch. So in other words, you can pull them aside, you can talk about it, but the guy has to flip the switch in his head. Well, here's a problem with Jones. When, before Jason got there, I, I don't know what the dynamics were, but when you have a young quarterback on a bad team, eventually, whether it's spoken or not, they feel like it's on their show. They have to go do something to win the game. And you never want the quarterback to do that. You just want him to play and function within the offense. And when they start doing those things, then they start making dumb throws. And I think that's where Jones was. I think he was on a bad team that was struggling, and you know, if they had any chance, he had to do something miraculous. But then you start making throws you got no business to, and maybe they work out, maybe they don't. And you got to get that out of him. You got to get that out of him because now he becomes a liability instead of a positive part of your offense. What did Frank Sinatra say? This is New York. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can't, we'll get you out of here. 
Yeah. And that's what they'll do, boy. It, you know, there's been back-to-back. It was, a, it was a Sunday night game, then it's a, a Monday night game, you know, and it's a, they're going to be on Thursday night. You know, you're you're always in that limelight when you play in New York. Well, Jones right now, he's he has to put up or shut up. He's got to get it done now. He has to, you know, discipline and, and play winning football, which he hasn't done to this date. So he's made some big plays, and he, he leans on that. But that's not that's not what his job is. His job is to get team in the end zone. What's going on with Tennessee? That's I don't two know. straight losses. I, I don't know. I think uh, defensively they're not uh, playing as well as they probably should. Um, I think quarterback's playing fine. Uh, obviously, they, they didn't rush the ball like they normally would. But, of course, they're playing some good teams too. Uh, with that defensive front, they're just under underproducing probably. They're just not getting the performance out of some of the defensive as, uh, personnel that they probably should. Yeah, the big man, he he uh he went for over 100 yards. Now, didn't have a lot of carries, but he still went for over 100, so maybe I don't know, they just didn't run it enough. We'll, we'll see. Uh Seattle and Buffalo. This is going to be an interesting one. This will be 6 and 1. Seattle taking on 6 and 2. Buffalo, Buffalo doing what good teams do, find a way to win. They beat New England this this week late. Cam still struggling to find his way. We'll see if Seattle can bring that energy that they're noted for across country and, and play a good team in a, in a tough environment, even without fans. Well, they'll, they'll stress that Seattle defense. They, they will stress them. And I think that uh, elements won't be an issue. And They're outside in Seattle, and they get the wind and the rain and all that good stuff. But I just think that, and I've, I've said this from the beginning, I think they're, they're a really well-rounded team at Buffalo. They're solid everywhere. And I think uh, – when they don't get conservative on offense, when they continue to attack, they're a really hard team to beat. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see how they handle uh, Mr. DK Metcalf. Uh, that 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 could be a good matchup there. And the weather now, as we say in good old Buffalo, anytime after Halloween, you might get a blizzard. Yeah. So be yeah. be uh, be aware of that one. Any anything can happen back there, and uh, we'll we'll be on the lookout for it. So let me keep looking down my schedule here, and I lost my way for a second. Okay, yeah. So, okay. Now you Cardinals. You mentioned the Cardinals. All right, Miami's going out to Arizona. (laughs) This now this is the game where we're going to find out what Mister Tua is really about. I think not that not that facing Aaron Donald that doesn't make you a man, but now he's going to. Take a road trip, a little, little uh, less comfortable, and against a very opportunistic defense. Well, the Dolphins right now are playing really well on defense. You know, they've, yeah. they've emerged as a real solid defense. So hopefully they can continue that. I do think that Arizona is so different than what they do on offense with the spread stuff that they do. They're rushing the ball so well out of it that, that they've got a challenge in front of them. I'm talking about Miami has to – to really gear up for something they don't normally see back there in that division. So it'll be interesting. I think uh, I, I do think the Cardinals win that game. I, I just uh, I hope Tua plays well. I really do. I hope he's what they think he is, and maybe he is, but he's going to have to grow up real fast now. Yep. The uh, Raiders continue their up-and-down charge. They, they pull out a win against the uh, Odell Beckham-less Cleveland Browns in – that's strange. I, you know, a lot of things happen in that game. I, I'm not sure 
exactly what how much of that was because of Odell not being there or just the Raiders just outplayed him? Well, the other thing is, you know, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you know that after the middle of October, that big flag in the end zone is going to be at a right angle. Most of the time it bent over. You know, right. it's going to look like victory at sea out there at the lake. So and that's the weather was 40 or 50 mile an hour winds. And so you have to be able to, and they, they did this early. They just did not run the ball as effectively as they should have, or should, would probably have wanted to do. And yeah. you know, that's neither quarterback had a big game there. And, you know, they numbers were horrible for the both quarterbacks, but the team that rushes the ball well in that situation is going to win. Yep. Yep. And finally uh, the saints, Going down to Tampa Bay, big NFC South matchup, uh, five and two Saints, and the Bucks rolling hard at six and two. Yeah, I think Tampa Bay is, will win this. I really do. Um, you know, Sean has done such a remarkable job down there in New Orleans, and they've managed a quarterback. He's got some limitations, um, and they're they're not as good around him as they have been in the past, except for the running back. He's just been ridiculous. But yeah, we'll see. But I think uh, Tampa Bay just gets better every week. All right. Mike, that's it. Another fine week. I appreciate it. It was fun. Enjoy your time today, man. And uh, thanks for the advice on the Vols. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Once again, a very special thank you to good friend and longtime broadcaster Solomon Wilcots from Pro Football Focus. Like what you're hearing on Run It Again? Well, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple. Now it's time to turn the mic around and hear from you, our listeners. Got a question for me or the coach? Just send us an email at runitagainpod at gmail.com or leave a comment on social media at runitagainpod. Be sure to join us next Tuesday as we answer some of those email and social media questions. Plus, we'll break down the return of the running game in the NFL. Don't forget to visit us at runitagainpodcast.com and be sure and hit that subscribe button. Just remember, we're two old pros trying to make you think a little. Be safe and stay healthy, everyone. Run it again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Martz is a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ed Maloney, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at Run It Again Podcast.